the editor actually came to me and said, why don't you write a book about the 80-20 principle? And I said, I couldn't possibly write a book about the 80-20 principle. I've written half a page. I might possibly be able to write a couple of pages. I might even be able to write a chapter, but I certainly couldn't write a whole book about it. There's nothing to say, you know. Hey listeners, welcome to High Performance Tip number 173. This one is with Richard Koch, and it's the story of him finding and discovering the 80-20 principle. If you're not familiar with who Richard Koch is, he's the author of the 80-20 principle, the book that has changed business as we know it over the past 20 years or so. And it is a best-selling book, and I highly recommend anybody get the book or dive into the podcast, the episode we have with Richard, uh, understanding the 80-20 principle because it will absolutely change your life. It did mine. I know many other entrepreneurs and people out there whose lives were completely changed from the 80-20 principle and yours will be as well. In this clip, we're talking with Richard about him finding the 80-20 principle, how he found it, how he started to apply it, and how it led him down a path to have a net worth of over $1 billion. Let's hop into it with Richard Koch. So first off, tell us what the principle is, Richard. Tell us who Vilfredo Pareto is, where you heard about it, and why you started applying these to your life. Well, let me start with how I came across it, and then I'll explain it, because that's a little bit more difficult. When I was 19 years old, I was sitting in this wonderful library. It's in a great building in Oxford. It's called the Bodleian Library, and it's one of the very few copyright libraries in the world. I think there are five or six of them. So that means they've got every single book. And someone had mentioned to me, a friend of mine who actually was a, a Marxist, said, I must read this book by Vilfredo Pareto. And I said, yes, what's the title? And he said, oh, it's something like The Course of Economic Theory or, or The Outline of Economic Theory. And it was in French. <laughs> so anyway, my friend said, you must read it. it he, uh, Vilfredo Pareto wasn't a Marxist at all. But my friend said I would find it very interesting. So one day I turned up at the Bodleian Library and asked for this book. I don't think anyone had ever asked for this book. These stacks at the bottom of the, of the building, which go... For miles, I think, underground. And anyway, it took a long time for the book to arrive. And I, fortunately, I brought some other things to read at the same time. And uh, so I read this book. And the bit which really captured my imagination was when he was describing his studies of wealth. And like a good economist, Vilfredo Pareto looked at the statistics on wealth and also on income. And he did that for the, the UK in the 19th century. And he did that for other countries as well. And then he w went back to other centuries. So he looked at it's, it's Italian data, Swiss data, Dutch data, French data, German data, and British data. And he discovered that there was this incredible relationship that the further up you went in wealth or income, the fewer people there were. But they were fewer in an exact mathematical relationship. And he used algebra rather than charts to, to do that. And he never used the phrase 80, 20 or anything like that. But okay. the, the whole burden of the message was that reliably 20% of the population had 80% of the wealth or income. And it was a relationship that held all the way up. So actually, if you didn't take the 80 and the 20, but you looked instead at 20% of the 20, which is four, you would discover the 
those people, just 4% of the population, had approximately 64%, which is 80 times 0.8 uh, of the wealth. And so mm -hmm. you could get this on a log scale, you get this perfect line or perfect regression. And he was very excited because he, he had never seen such a, an incredibly close fit that seemed to work across all data and across all countries. Well, I thought this could be quite useful because one of the things about Oxford University is that they have final examinations and your whole degree depends on writing 11 papers. In my case, it differs from subject to subject. 11 papers answering three or four questions on each paper, three hours exam, 11 times. This was a very daunting prospect. And there I was sitting there. I was in my the second year and I was trying to work out how to get a, a very good top degree. And so it suddenly occurred to me that perhaps this 80-20 distribution happened on the exam questions. So maybe there were 20% of questions which were asked 80% of the time. And the questions which they had on the papers were, you know, it was several pages. I mean, it was 50 or 60 different questions. Right. And all you had to do was answer three or four of them. And so I thought, well, if it's true that there are some questions that come up nearly every year, then those are the questions that I will focus on. And that's exactly what I did. And sort of to reduce the risk to tolerable proportions, I made it so that I could answer six questions on each paper. And I got rid of all the rest of the study. So actually, you know, there was always a question about the French Revolution, always a question about the causes of the First World War, always a question about the rise of socialism, and so on and so on. But you, you could be sure that for any particular paper, or at least reasonably sure, that one of those questions, or at least three or four of those six, were actually going to come up. And it worked like a dream. It was absolutely perfectly correct. But what it meant was that I could actually get a, a very, very good degree with doing 20% of the studying. Uh, I didn't actually work all that hard, but I made sure that on the, those questions, I was pitch perfect. Now, of course, it works in economics, but then I thought, well, perhaps it would work in other areas. And I never wrote the book when I was an undergraduate. It took 25 years or something before I actually got around to writing this book. And what happened there was quite instructive because the editor actually came to me and said, why don't you write a book about the 80-20 principle? And I said, I couldn't possibly write a book about the 80-20 principle. I've written half a page. I might possibly be able to write a couple of pages. I might even be able to write a chapter, but I certainly couldn't write a whole book about it. There's nothing to say, you know, Wilfredo Pareto, the 80-20 principle, 20% right. of something counting for 80% of something else at frequency and so on and so forth. 20% of your Clothes are uh, <laughs> worn eighty percent of the time. Yeah, yeah, you know, are worn eighty percent of the time. You yeah. know, your favorite clothes, which help, help you to clear up your closet. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I then said, right, okay, I'm going to apply it to everything. So I looked at things like your friends, your time, your happiness, even as well as the standard stuff about the twenty percent of products will produce eighty percent of profits. Twenty percent. Right customers will present 80% of your profits. So you can actually, I mean, even better than getting rid of your partner is actually getting rid of customers that are actually a nuisance. <laughs> exactly, yeah. find that the customers are use, nuisance. And if you look at it very carefully and you allow for the costs of serving customers, you sometimes find that there's a tiny proportion of them who have a high degree of sales, yes, 
but actually cause you almost no trouble. Exactly. They're very easy to serve with standard products. There are other customers who are incredibly demanding, requiring special products, requiring you to tailor to their requirements and getting on your nerves very often. Do that analysis, get rid of half your customers and see that your profits increase. And at the same time, the amount of time you have to spend on the business goes down or you can use that time for thinking about other things like new products and so on and so forth. So I, I, I applied it to everything. So it was a reinterpretation of the 80-20 principle that no one had ever done before. It wasn't that all of the ideas came from my head. I discovered that there was an enormous amount of stuff about 80-20, or it was generally in those days called the Pareto rule. And mm -hmm. I got rid of that because it's not a rule. It's not always true, but it's an empirical thing. You look for it, and if you find it, you know that it's very useful. So there was an enormous amount of stuff about it, and no one had ever written a book about it. So I was lucky to be the first person to write a book. And as you know, it sold more than a million copies. It's been translated into 40 languages. And still, it, it annoys me sometimes that the 80-20 principle is often the best-selling book for me on a particular day on Amazon. I've written more than 20 books. And this one, which and I still wrote, it's going, yeah. <laughs> there you have it, you guys. Richard Koch telling his story about how he discovered the 80-20 principle. Really, I want to leave anybody with this that comes across this principle. I can't say this enough, how incredibly powerful that principle is. I first read that book around 2005 and 2006, and it has uh, changed my life. I immediately applied it. It has changed my life over and over and over again, and I'll continue to use it in every aspect of my life. So highly recommend it. You guys dive into the podcast episode with Richard. The full episode is episode number 554, Hacking the Algorithm of Business and Finding Billion Dollar Investments. Literally, this principle led Richard to have a net worth of $1.4 billion. So take that home with you guys and apply it. If you like what you're hearing and you want to make sure you don't miss any of these tips, please subscribe, leave us a review, and share with your friends. See you on the next episode.